Amen. Great thought. Great job. Go ahead and get in your Bible to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 794. John chapter 15. As I said earlier, I appreciate Brother Joe filling in me for me last Sunday morning and Brother Josh last Sunday night. I'm thankful for them. Uh, they are a great blessing to me and to this church, and I believe a great honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. As uh, most of you know, uh, for uh, many months now on Sunday mornings, we have been talking about things that Jesus said exclusively to His disciples. Uh, many, many months ago, I planned out 31 messages. I have three remaining after uh, today. I've been praying about and working on our next uh, Sunday morning series, and uh, I, I want to feed you a balanced spiritual diet, and um, please pray for me that I would be able to do that. I want uh, Christians who are knowledgeable and excited about the things of God, rather than people who are excited but have no idea what they're excited about, or people who know a lot of truth but have no excitement. Uh, we don't want either one of those. Uh, thankfully, Though Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, though He died for the sins of the world, He did not just spend His time uh, witnessing to people to get them saved. He did plenty of that. He also spent some of His time exclusively teaching His disciples. Uh, the word disciple just means learner. And so this morning, as a disciple of Jesus, I want to learn what He had to say to me because He is a changeless Savior. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so you can mark it down, whatever He had to say back then to His disciples under similar circumstances, He would say the same things still this morning. When I spoke last two Sunday mornings ago, we talked about Jesus telling His disciples that He wanted them to have His joy. And we talked about the kind of joy that Jesus lived with that would make someone want His joy. Uh, there are plenty of people today, if uh, you said to them, hey, I'd like to give you my joy, and they would say, no, thank you. Uh, Jesus lived with the kind of joy that people wanted, and so when He said his, to His disciples that He was going to give His joy to them, they wanted it, and we talked about what that meant, and we rejoiced that we have a Creator who wants us to live with joy. Now today, we continue with another part of what Jesus had to say to His disciples on His last night prior to His crucifixion, uh, did you know that our expectations have a lot to do with how happy we are? How happy we are with people? How happy we are with situations? I mean, for instance, if you are expecting a 2% raise and you get a 3% raise, you are super excited to get 3%. If you expected a 5% raise and you get a 3% raise, you're kind of miffed. By the way, the 3% is the same. Our expectations in large degree determine how happy we are with the same thing. Uh, there's a story told about a little boy who was playing on the seashore in the sand and he dug a big pit in the ground. He took his little plastic bucket, he scooped out some water from the ocean, walked over, poured it in the pit, and he just kept walking back and forth and doing that. And finally, his parents who had been watching, they were just glad he was out of their hair, not bugging them. They wondered what in the world he was doing. So the dad walked over and asked him, he said, what are you doing? 
is going back and forth from the ocean and pouring that ocean water into your pit. And the little boy just smiled at his dad and he says, Dad, can't you see I'm emptying the ocean? So he might have been enjoying himself, but his expectations were not linked to reality. See, our expectations have a lot to do with how happy we are in our marriage. Our expectations have a lot to do with how happy parents are with their children and children are with their parents. Our expectations have a lot to do with how happy we are in our jobs. Our expectations have a lot to do with how happy we are with the Christian life. Did you know how easy you expect the Christian life to be has a lot to do with how happy you are trying to live it? Did you know how you expect the world to react to you living a Christian life and having Christian values? Do you know what you expect the world to do has a lot to do with how happy you are when the world rejects you and fights against your values. If you would stand this morning, please, in honor of the Word of God. What did Jesus exclusively say to His disciples? The title of our thought this morning is, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. John chapter 15. We begin in the Word of God in verse 18. Where Jesus here says to His disciples, if the world hate you, you know that it hated Me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love His own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted Me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Thank you. Might be seated. We know, of course, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is on his last night prior to his crucifixion preparing his disciples for the day when he would return to the right hand of his Father and they would carry on his work in the power of his Spirit. What he would no longer physically be them, be with them. And as he prepares his disciples that night, he shapes their expectations beginning in verse 18 when he says, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now apart from being warned that it would be easy to think that everyone would love us for standing on biblical morals. Apart from being warned, it would be easy to think everyone would applaud us taking our faith seriously. Apart from being warned, we might expect spreading the message of Jesus to make us loved and popular in our culture. But the fact of the matter is, is the world hated Jesus when we can hear, when He was here. And we can expect the world to hate anyone who stands for and proclaims the whole message of Jesus. He wanted them to understand that the world would resist them because they belonged to Him. Look what He says to them in chapter 16 and verse 1. Same night, same message. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. He's shaping their expectations. They shall put you out of the synagogues. 
Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. And again, Jesus is preparing them. He's shaping their expectations. You see, apart from him shaping their expectations, they might think that when they got put out of the synagogues or when their culture uh, imprisoned them or when their culture at times even executed them, they might think they're doing something wrong. But the fact of the matter is, he prepared them because the world that hated the Lord Jesus Christ was going to hate them as well. Now, most of the world didn't accept their love Jesus when he was here. I mean, think about that. They hated the one who loved them most. His disciples believed him. In fact, many disciples who believed also choose to advance and to love him in addition to believing on him. And many of them chose to do that. But the majority of the Jews, they were not believers. They didn't accept Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. But despite the majority response to him, Jesus loved the world and he died for the sins of the world. So because Jesus loved them, he told, he told them the truth they needed to hear. Did you hear me when I say love tells the truth? I'm not implying that that is your license to say anything you want to say to anybody, nor am I implying that you get out of your lane and try to correct people that are not in your lane from God to correct. I'm just saying this, is that when someone loves, they tell the truth. By the way, I hope you're the kind of person who appreciates when someone tells you the truth. Even if you didn't want to hear it. The religious world, they they didn't love Jesus Christ uh, because He was focused on their heart in the Scriptures. They wanted to keep their focus on the externals and the traditions of their religion. But it wasn't just the religious world that hated Jesus Christ. The secular world didn't like Christ either. They, They didn't like His focus on God. They, They didn't like His clear exhortation to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You see, the secular world wanted the world prioritized. They wanted their things prioritized. So both the religious world and the secular world rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus loved the world, but the world hated Him. Have you ever really thought this through? The the world didn't condemn Him to a cross because they wanted to fulfill the Scriptures though Him dying on a cross fulfilled the Scriptures. The world wanted to crucify Him on a cross because they hated His message. They hated what He did. They hated how He stood. They hated how He spoke. By by the way, if the Jesus you've created in your mind only walks around telling people they love them and do whatever you want because I, I love you, listen, you have made an idolatrous Jesus in your mind. The world doesn't hate a message, God loves you, do what you want because God loves you. Uh, Was God's love a part of Christ's message? Absolutely. But there was a lot more to his message than that. 
The world hated his narrow message of eternal life. He taught that people needed to repent and to receive and believe him to be the Messiah and the Son of God. The world hated his narrow message on morality. He taught that marriage was one man and one woman and a covenant not to be broken by anything except for fornication. Uh, the rich hated his message because he loved the downtrodden instead of giving them preference. The poor hated his message because he demanded that the poor repent just as well as the rich. The world hated his patience with his disciples. The world wanted his disciples crucified and set aside any time they failed in some manner. Jesus patiently dealt with their faults and flaws. The world hated his frequent references to hell. The world hated his frequent references to judgment. The world hated him regularly warning people that if they died in their sins, they would hope in their eyes in the torment of the flames of hell. The world hated that message, and yet it was the most loving thing he could tell them. You don't have to be much of a student to know that no one in the entire Bible spoke about hell more than Jesus. I mean, just get a concordance out, look up the word hell, and see who said the word. The world didn't like that warning. And no one then liked that message, and no one today likes that message. And yet, that is the whole truth. God's love moved the Savior to tell people the truth. Now at First, the world may seem to love and support faithful followers of Jesus, but when our message contradicts what the world wants to hear, it will fight against us and persecute us in one way or another. That's what he tells them there in verse 20 of chapter 15. We read it earlier. Remember the, excuse me, the word that I said unto you? The servant is not greater than his Lord. They've persecuted me. They will also persecute you. They have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. By the way, I've got that last little phrase underlined in my Bible because it encourages me. Despite the fact that the world that hated Christ will reject those that represent Him, uh, those who believe on Christ, they're still interested in His message today. Now, conflict between the world and Jesus Disciples is not intuitive until we understand who Jesus was and what He taught. In verse 19, He said, If you were of the world, the world would love His own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now the average person knows little or nothing about what Jesus taught beyond His love and mercy. And so because of that, they wouldn't really anticipate all the differences between Jesus' message and the message of our world. See, new believers and those who have not been taught much from the Scripture, they have little or no understanding of the fact that 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls Satan the God of this world, small g. You want to know who's running our culture? Washington isn't running our culture. Columbus isn't running our culture. Satan is running our culture. But apart from being told this, we, we wouldn't 
understand this conflict. In fact, when I was saved 38 years ago after hearing the gospel for the first time, uh, two days earlier when I was saved, then if you would have asked me then, is there anything wrong with the church imitating the culture, imitating the world, or having it sound like the world when you walk into the church, I would have said, no, that makes sense to me. Yeah, go for it. I didn't understand that there was this inherent underlying foundational conflict between the people of God and the world. Now the New Testament often repeats this principle that believers in the world around us are not on the same team. Believers in the world are enemies rather than friends because of our values. Our values are not this world's values. Our way of thinking is not the way this world thinks. And Jesus here teaches His disciples are not supposed to be of the world, though we live in the world. He teaches His disciples have been chosen out of the world rather than to remain in it and imitate it. Hear me when I say the world is not just the part of our culture that drinks its dinner out of a brown paper sack sitting in a gutter. The, the world is not just the most violent and dangerous places in the inner city, though that's part of the world. Listen, the world is man apart from God. The, the, the world is man's glory in man. The world is man's glory in what man can do. Whether that's architecture or music or dancing or whatever it is, when man glories in man and what man can do, that's the world. In fact, the best representatives of it are Hollywood, L.A., New York, Paris, Nashville. Those are focal points. And how ironic and how sad that the average American church in 2022 is actively trying to imitate the world when the Scriptures teach the exact opposite. We are supposed to be imitating Christ in a broken and falling world. We're not trying to bring the world or imitate the world when we come to serve Christ. And though consistent with the message of Jesus, the New Testament warnings about the world are very clear. I mean, John said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2.15 James said, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. James 4.4 4. Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be a transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's in Romans 12 too. Listen, the Bible is very clear that there is an inherent difference and inherent conflict between followers of Jesus and the world and culture around us. It says nothing to do with leaving society for a secluded cave, but it has everything to do with the values we embrace. It has everything to do with how we prioritize our time in life. It has everything to do with who and what we most please and who we imitate. Jesus clearly tried to get His disciples to have realistic expectations for how their ministry and work for Him would be received. Listen, apart from this warning, 
when they were hauled to jail, they could easily step back and say, well, I must have done something wrong. This didn't work out well for me here. But Jesus instead shaped their expectations. Now, 17 years ago, when I was preparing in my heart and mind to start Bible Baptist Church, I had in my mind that in order to start a church, all you pretty much needed to do was get a building, put out some flyers, and people would flock to it. That's what I first thought. And as time went on and I rented the UAW hall and started passing out flyers and started inviting people out, you know what I quickly come to realize before we even had our first service? That people who weren't interested in going to their old church weren't interested in going to a new one. I I learned that believing people, by and large, weren't interested in going to something in a smoke-filled environment with nicotine coating the walls from 50 years of bingo smoke that most believers were not interested in going into that environment and calling it a church when we didn't have any ministries of any kind other than a nursery. And I needed to shape my expectations. I I didn't understand uh, until I started going that starting a church is more like going up against a boulder and you push against it and you try to get that big thing rolling. It isn't like, hey, just pushing a pebble downhill. And I thank God that He helped me understand that it was supposed to be difficult and that there was no way I could do it in my own strength and that apart from the help of Christ and the Word of God and the things that only God can do, that I had no hope. Our expectations have everything to do with how happy we are with the same thing. Let me ask you this morning, why are you surprised when mainstream corporate media is an active opponent of believers and biblical values? Why does that surprise you? Why are you sitting there so angry about it? Why are you surprised when nearly every TV show and movie tries to jam homosexuality down our throat as being normal? Why are you sitting there so angry about it? Listen, the world has always been the world. Christ warned us that we are not the friend of this world. They're not our pals. They're only on our side as long as we're doing what they want us to do. Why are you surprised when people are fine with the church until the church sets Christ and things of God as number one priority? Oh, you go to church? Great. Oh, you mean you can't do this on Sunday? You must be in a cult. Why are you surprised when most of society focuses on the failures of individual Christians, and there are some, instead of the vast majority of sincere believers? Uh, Listen, uh, it makes me angry every time, and it shouldn't make me angry when on, on television they always portray a biblical Christian as being a hypocrite. It shouldn't surprise us. We've been warned that this is the world into which Christ has placed us. 
It's a world that's just as antagonistic towards those who sincerely followed Christ with all their heart as it was to Christ Himself. Jesus warned us. Because He didn't want us disappointed or hurt by the way things were designed to be. Amen? And what I'd like to do this morning, now that I'm done with the introduction, is make some applications and observations from Jesus preparing His disciples for conflict with the world. Please turn back just a page or so to John chapter 14. Here's number one, John chapter 14, verse 6. John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, not a way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here's number one, the narrow message of salvation being only in Christ will always bring conflict in the world. The narrow message of salvation being only in Jesus Christ will always bring conflict with the world. Listen, it sounds good, but Jehovah of the Bible is not the same God as Allah of the Muslims. It sounds good, but it's not true. So how do you know? Compare the attributes and message of Allah with the message of of Jehovah, and it's not the same. Listen, it is not the same to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God, God manifested in the flesh, and believing that Jesus of Nazareth was a great prophet. They're two very different things. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ is not the same as believing the story of Jesus and trusting your good works. Listen, there are people all over American culture who believe Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God, but if you ask them why God will give them eternal life, they would answer some work. Well, I joined the church. Well, I was confirmed. Well, I was baptized. Well, I gave this. Well, I did that. Listen, it is not the same to believe that Jesus Christ paid the whole price for salvation, that He is the only way to salvation, and believing your good works will give you eternal life. And though our world hates this narrow message and shouts down anyone who believes it and states it, Jesus made this claim Himself. Listen, you do not have to be a rocket science to understand Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. By the way, what that means is if you have never come to Jesus, you're not going to the Father. Now to the world, any sincerely held belief for how you get eternal life and forgiveness is fine. By the way, that is, except for if you believe that (laughs) that only way to eternal life is Jesus Christ. If you believe that, then the world is not fine with that sincere belief. But the Scripture and Jesus are clear. Hear me when I say every human being on this planet needs to hear the message of Christ. Every person in America needs to hear the fact that it is Jesus who's the Savior, not a church. Not the Baptist church, not the Catholic church, not the Lutheran church, not the Pentecostal church. Jesus is the Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by Him. Have you you come to Jesus? 
Have you called upon Him to forgive you and save you? Have you repented and placed humble faith in Jesus to forgive you and give you eternal life? Listen, trusting Christ and His finished work is different than trusting your good works. Listen, if you've come to Jesus, it would be an unforgettable moment. You may not even remember the date. You may not remember what exactly was said to you. You may not remember exactly what you said, but you would never forget the experience because it would have left you changed. Jesus changes every heart in which He dwells. Have you come to Christ? Listen, that's different than you were in a bad way in life and such and so was really sick and you were in the hospital and you cried out to God for mercy and healing and God healed you. Uh, Listen, uh, God may have healed you and God in His goodness may have met with you there, but calling on Jesus to save you and you getting healing is not the same. Salvation is coming to Jesus as a hopeless, guilty sinner to trust and call upon Him. There is no other Savior. There is no other path to eternal life. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Son of God, whether people like it or not. By the way, those last three minutes of what I told you, the world hates that message. They hate that message. And Jesus warned us to expect that narrow message to be hated. By the way, this morning, if you've never been born again, you've never called upon Christ to save you, this morning is a good time to do that. In fact, in just a few moments, we'll have what we call an invitation. And we call it that because you're invited to come to Jesus Christ. If you need that, I hope you'll do that this morning. Which gets us to our second thing. Please secondly, go in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I said first, a narrow message of salvation, being only in Christ, will always bring conflict with the world. We're just making applications of what Jesus taught His disciples about our relationship with the world. He was very clear. He wanted our expectations to be right. Here's number two. Being hated for our faith in Christ is different from being hated for our own faults. Did you hear me? Being hated for our faith in Christ is different from being hated for our own faults. Notice Peter is going to say something real interesting here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. He says, For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. So what's thankfully, worthy, thankworthy in God's sight? For, for you, because of having a good conscience for God, you do what's right and you suffer for it. God, God values that. Notice what he says in verse 20. He says, For what glory is it? If when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. He says it's no big deal when you do what's wrong and get buffeted for it. He said, but when you do what's right and you suffer for it, that is the kind of thing that is acceptable and rewarded by God. You know, sometimes what people call being persecuted for their faith is really just them suffering for their own faults and sins. 
You're not being persecuted as a Christian when you get up when you get written up at work for being late. You're suffering because of your bad character. You're not being persecuted as a Christian when people don't want to be around you because you have a bad attitude or you're condescending toward them. You're not suffering as a Christian. You're suffering because of your bad attitude. You're not being persecuted as a Christian when you criticize everything and everyone, but never ever seem to be able to compliment or encourage anyone. You're suffering for your negativity. You're not suffering as a Christian. Who, wh- why is it your job to correct anybody, everybody anyway? Why is it your job to correct anybody other than your own minor children in your house? Listen, none of us can live perfectly, but all of us can live a sincere Christian life. All of us can choose to be faithful to Christ and consistently behave. All of us can choose to be loving. All of us can choose to be kind. All of us can choose to live a moral life. All of us can choose to be committed to the Lord's church. All of us can choose to be hard workers. All of us can choose to forgive. All of us can choose to be gracious. We can choose those things. And when we choose those things, when the world hates us or our message, you know then, you're not suffering for your own faults. You're suffering for Christ's sake. Now don't get me wrong, I don't believe that I ever go looking for spiritual conflict. Now you might not think it's true if all you know about me is what you hear from the pulpit. I mean, but understand when I walk away from the pulpit and, and, and walk out, I, I don't try to be a Baptist preacher, I try to be a Christian. And so I don't talk to people or treat people like I stand when I stand behind a pulpit preaching the Bible as the pastor of this church. I don't, it might shock you, I don't believe we ought to ever look for conflict. In fact, I actually believe we ought to try to avoid it whenever possible. Say, Brother Walla, you seem like a fighter to me. No, not really. One of the reasons I wanted to start a church instead of quote, take a church that someone else had started. So I didn't want to go in there and fight with everybody that was left. Listen, it's tough to raise the dead. I'm really not a fighter. I'm just a big mouth peacemaker. But here's the thing. When we're trying to do what's right, and we're trying to be a sincere Christian, conflict is going to find us. And when it finds you, understand that God placed you there. Jesus warned us it would happen. And that means in Christ's name, you should stand and fight. If God allows it, that means you can take it. That means you can make it. You can be light for Christ in His darkness in the darkness of our world. Which gets us to our last thing. Go back to Luke chapter 6. Say, wow, well, you're on your last point and you've got nine minutes left. This, I don't mean anything. My third point's the longest point I've had all day long. No, I'm just kidding. 
Luke chapter 6, just making observations and applications of Jesus' warning about how His disciples in the world would interact and how the world would respond to us following Him and how the world would respond to you and I embracing His values. Here's number three. The suffering of faithful Christians in the world is inevitable, but how we deal with it is up to us. The suffering of faithful Christians in the world is inevitable, but how we deal with it is up to us. I think most of you, if you know me at all, you, you, you understand me when I say, I believe everything Jesus said, but some of it I don't like. There's some of the things that He said that I like because they go well with what I want to do. And there's other things that He said that I don't like because they don't match what I want to do and I need to choose what He wants. And when it comes to the inevitability of our conflict with the world and how I'm supposed to respond, I believe, but I don't like what Jesus had to say to me. I try to do it, but I don't like it. Uh, Maybe someday I'll grow uh, to be like some of you and like doing this. But Jesus is really clear. Notice what He says in Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast your name, cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Now this is suffering for Christ. He says, Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers under the prophets. See, Jesus taught that we're supposed to look at persecution in the light of eternity. When our family or friends of the world hates us or separates us from them, reproaches us, besmirches our name for Christ's sake, for the sake of the Son of Man, He says, rejoice and remember that this life is just a preparation for eternal life. That in God's tomorrow, He has a reward and something special for those who suffer for Christ's sake and do it in the right manner. The right manner is rejoicing. (laughs) Verse 28, Bless them that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. The right manner is to not return cursing for cursing. The right manner is to pray for those. And by the way, he's not talking about praying for God's judgment in their life. God, please get them. You saw the, they cut me off when I was trying to turn left there. Listen, it's not okay to hate because we're hated. It's not okay to lash out because someone lashed out at us for Christ's message. I was talking to somebody uh, that I regularly run into uh, in a a store, and I asked them how their week was, and and they said, well, it was a good week. I didn't give it to anybody who didn't first give it to me. And that's how the world looks at it. 
Whereas as a Christian, our response has nothing to do with how someone responds to us. If we're yielded to the Spirit of God, our response has everything to do with the fact that we belong to Christ. When someone is unkind, we return kindness. When someone is hateful, we return love. When someone puts our name out, we don't say, well, you curse you then. No, we say, listen, um, I hope God helps them. I hope God changes them. Listen, the inevitability, the inevitability, one of these times I'll say that right. You know, uh, it is unavoidable that the world is going to get us. <laughs> they are going to contradict our message. They are going to try to hurt us in our name. It's inevitable. But how we respond is up to us. See, most people in the world can manage to be kind and good to those who are kind and good to them. But it takes real faith in Christ and the help of the Holy Spirit to return love for hatred. Jesus did that. It takes real faith in Christ and the help of the Holy Spirit to do good to those who do us wrong. But Jesus did that. The world conflicting with us as we follow Christ is inevitable. But how we respond is up to us. Hear me when I say expect people in your family to not like you faithfully following Christ. Respond by being good and loving to them and praying for them. Your family needs that light for Christ's sake. Expect in your workplace and your school to find people who will not like or agree with you following Christ the way you believe you should. Respond by being good to them, loving them, and praying for them. They need us to be light for Christ's sake. Expect our culture to mock and belittle us. To twist what we have to say. To take everything out of context. To find us in our worst moments in an attempt to discredit what we have to say. Expect that, but we need to respond by being good to them, loving them, and praying for them because our world needs us to be light for Christ. The world doesn't like our message. It never has. The world doesn't like the hope we set forth in Christ. It does not like the narrowness of biblical truth. But it is Jesus Christ and His message our world needs most. Listen, this world is messed up. And it is more messed up today than it was 20 years ago. And it was more messed up 20 years ago than it was 50 years ago. But it's not hopeless. God has placed you and I here today and now to be His light. And let me ask you, how are you responding to the inevitable times when this world doesn't like your message? I don't know. Maybe this morning you just need to be reminded about the inevitable conflict and let that shape your expectations. I don't know. Maybe this morning you just need to be reminded that we have a Savior and a message from Him that's worth standing on and for. Maybe this morning you just need to be reminded that God's people are a people set apart to Christ. And that despite all of our natural desires to fit in, it is impossible for us to fit in perfectly in this world. We are a square peg in a round hole. 
So this morning, not for your faults, but if you're suffering for Christ's sake, don't walk away and always say, well, I must have done something wrong. You know what? Sometimes when we do everything right, the world lashes back. Amen? If you'd quietly stand.